Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. Michael is also the reason we weren't here last week, because his feeble and emaciated body failed on him. Michael, how have you been? I've been fine, Gary, other than just dragging a dose with me. And I can tell you, my body is sadly not emaciated. Would that it were? So I do apologise that we weren't there last week, although those of you who are GRIPS subscribers should have received a link to a live stream I did with all of the GRIP writers on Friday. We will be doing those every Friday going uh, forward bar next week because I will be in Croatia which also means there will be no podcast next week so yes subscribe get access to that I am the only person there who has experience talking on camera so you get to get the enjoyment of a lot of very earnest people staring at a camera as if they are terrified it will steal their soul if they say the wrong thing is that have I sold that Michael is that what the people want anyway Gary it's been a fun week it has and I suppose we must uh, we must open Michael by giving ourselves a wrap on the knuckle and accepting the mistakes that we have made. Not you and I personally, Michael, because we are, as everyone knows, not the sort to make mistakes, bar all of those mistakes people have emailed me about telling us we've made. But we'll put those aside for the purpose of claiming our own superiority. Absolutely. It's very convenient being able to do that. So we had we had Ben Scallon obviously go up to Leo during the week. It was a big story. He asked them about um, a particular transgender uh, prisoner, uh, inmate in Limerick Prison. It's always a joy to me, Gary, when you start these conversations to wonder exactly where the hell he's going. And then to think, ah, now I know where he's going yes okay this yes Ben Salem asked the question he got the answer that perhaps people weren't expecting Leo's tendency to speak entirely off the cuff actually finally came in useful yeah I think that he actually occasionally has a form of what I call political Tourette's that for a moment whatever little filter there is in Leo's head disappears and stuff just comes out for example the joke he made whilst in the United States about the interns in the White House which went down by the proverbial lead balloon but in this case the filter didn't appear to be well I don't know slightly to distract ourselves here Gary was this a filter absence or was this a man who had checked which way the wind was blowing had looked what happened to Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland and said you know what it may be that this is the moment to change horses in fact in midstream and this is a good place for me to be this a good place or a better place for me to be than the place I had previously been I think there may be an element of uh, being able to tell which way the wind is going on this uh, although as I said it's it's hard to tell with Leo because he can sometimes just say things but anyway that, that story has been debated back and forth we could have talked about it last week had Michael been available and not ruined our chance to talk about it but we didn't but but anyway, that story gets out, there's a back and forth, people report on it, you know, the normal stuff, with some unusual little parts in because of, of what it's about. But Michael, I, I've got to tell you now that we have been fact-checked by the journal, and they have debunked us. <laughs> we have we have been debunked. Debunked and fact-checked, you know, I there are times, you know, when people put the word fact, whatever, in an article and they put it between uh, inverted commas, you know, to give it that sort of sarcastic it's a fact, as the French, they put it, entre guillemets. This is an occasion where, when, when we talk about the fact-checking, I feel like not putting one set, but two or three sets of inverted commas around the word fact, or indeed the phrase fact-checking, and indeed debunking. We have perhaps even, Gary, been fists 
Do you remember when people used to fisk things after the wonderful reporter? I think he used to report for the Independent. Anyway, whoever he was, Robert Fisk, he had been fisked and fisked, Gary, to within an inch of our lives. Every time you say that, I think you're saying you're saying fisted. No, no, I'm and not. Debunked already sounds like a sex term, so we're, we're it's an uncomfortable area. No, Gary, that says an awful lot more it does about the sewer that is your mind than it does about my elocution. So, the title is Debunked. Leo Varadkar did not say that biological males shouldn't be put in female prisons. So, let's open with this. It's a journal fact check, which on its own tells us this is going to be a pretty wild ride. <laughs> and in the first sentence, it contains the phrase, so-called, open quote, quotation, biological males, close quotation. <laughs> okay. So even for journal terms, this is, this is pretty good. And the entire, the entire thing, Michael, is this. Their point is that Leo said that violent biological males should not be put in prisons designed for women's. He didn't say that males or biological males shouldn't be put in, in women's prisons. And this is a common tactic of the right wing, Michael. Yes. Misleading coverage of Veradka response may help to stoke culture wars in Ireland too. (laughs) I'm not sure what point there is to bring that up at a fact check, but this has a tenuous hold to being a fact check. By the way, maybe anticipating the the last paragraph of your peroration here, but is this actually a fact check? Like at the bottom, does it do those things that you have to do in order to qualify as a fact check, as opposed to just an article. Oh, you mean because I previously went through and showed that most of the journal's fact checks didn't meet the methodology they'd said they would, and therefore couldn't be considered fact checks under their own methodology? Precisely. It might amuse you, Michael, to know that um, sometime after I published that article, they, they quite quietly amended their methodology to say that, well, sometimes we're just not going to do these things. Okay. But it's still a fact check. Yeah, okay. So, no, it, it doesn't meet those things. But those things are old, Michael. They're gone. They're no longer how fact checks operate. Actually, here's another thing they changed that I think you might be amused by, Michael. Yeah, that's... If you go to the journal's explanation of how they do their fact check, they now have a line in it that says if occasionally we get something wrong or we get things wrong if we get things wrong we'll tell you now that used to be a slightly longer section Michael that explained things like if we get it wrong we'll do the following things and we'll make the following notes and actually we've got a page on which we'll put the things that we got wrong so you can go and immediately see all of the stuff we got wrong okay and that's all gone now almost like the journal no longer has any, perhaps not intent, Michael, but obligation to, let's say, tell you if they get a fact check grotesquely wrong. Well, it would be normal, for example, if they did something in a fact check which they discovered it was wrong, that they would then edit it and then they would leave a note saying where it had been edited, wouldn't they? I mean, they would. It's not something that the journal has always done, Michael, but... Who amongst us is perfect? That I ask you. I'm keeping my hand down. Actually, at this point, the journal itself will be perfect because they no longer have obligations to do any of those things. It's wonderful. You can't fail, so you must succeed. It shows a great deal of trust, I think, in your fact checks to know that it'll never be necessary to do these things. So it won't. It's in no way unethical to remove and he promised to do them. So it starts off anyway saying the so-called biological males, whatever that means, and talking about how this is going to be used by the bad old right, not even the far right, just the right, 
to stir up culture wars in Ireland, which we're all terrified of, Gary. We're all terrified. Leo is very frightened by this. We may import culture wars from other places, and that would obviously be a very bad thing. So that's how it begins. It's it's already establishing its neutral science fact-based approach by you know, so-called biological myths, because that's not at all in dispute. Here's, here's what I really liked, Michael. So they're talking about how his response was not what people said it was. He said violent males, not just males. These are entirely different things. Clearly, no link there at all. No. And actually, you know what, Michael, if it wasn't the journal, I would actually listen to someone who made that point and say, you know what, maybe we should have been more exact. Or maybe we should tell Ben to stop attaching adjectives to everything. Okay, yeah. But they um, they say, at no point in the exchange, did Leo utter the phrase, biological men don't belong in women's prisons, as was ascribed to him. Now, this is a, after a section where they're talking about various media outlets uh, and what they said about it. So you'd assume, Michael, that that's because a media outlet said biological men don't belong in women's prisons. Yes. However, what it's actually attributed to in this article, it says one Facebook post incorrectly attributed a direct quote to Varadkar as saying biological men don't belong in women's prisons. But it doesn't say where that Facebook post was, or was it any of the media, or did the person writing this just see a random Facebook post and say, I can use that. Any Facebook post. One Facebook post. That was the basis for this. It doesn't seem like enough, does it, really, to be that upset this that exercise to go off and do a full lovely fact check on that somebody somewhere that we don't know who and it isn't specified who wrote a facebook post then again gary all that shows maybe all that shows is how much attention the journal is paying they are doing the hard work they're doing the spade work they're getting out there they're checking out all the social media they've been on tiktok they've been on instagram they've been looking at the telegram channels twitter facebook the works because they understand Maybe like you don't. The concept of the media, as we understood it in the 20th century, that's gone. A Facebook post is now the media, or at least part of the media. So they're just being diligent. I, oh yes, I, when I think diligence, Michael, I immediately think of the journal. An organisation that in 2021 I was able to report managed to get l- around a third of their fact checks to meet their own criteria to be declared fact checks. They did not take that report very well, by the way. But they never actually went ahead with suing me, so everything worked out in the end. Don't use the S word, please. You know what upsets me. Here's here's a great line, Michael, from the conclusion, just to pull all this together I'll put a link to this below so you can read through it if you want. It is clear from Leo Varadkar's exact quotes that he did not say that biological males should not be in female prisons or suggest that all transgender women should not be placed in female prisons. And reports that state or imply that he did so are false or missing context. And do you know why, Michael? Because he was responding to a question and he did not utter the words biological males himself. Now, I wouldn't say that's the strongest stance I've ever heard. You know, would you like to change the law? Yes. You report that this man says he may have to change the law, or he would like to change the law, and then you fact check it to say, well, he never said he wanted to change the law, he just said the word yes. And you have to, you know, if a child said this, you'd kind of go down to your knees and go, how much paste have you eaten? I just like the idea that in the in the offices, journal offices, or whether they're virtual or they're real, they're 18 bright little heads all gathered around some Facebook post gently dissecting it in order to see if it would bear up to the weight of their fact-checking. That pleases me. Yeah, I just imagine the journal office is consisting largely of empty tubs of glue. I would have thought more ramen, but there you go, maybe glue. Eh, that's a combination. 
speaking about the journal, or not the journal, speaking about the media and their tendency to, uh, you know, occasionally, Michael, just put the boot in because they want to. Sometimes it's petty. Sometimes it's vindictive. Sometimes it's it's disheartening. But sometimes, Michael, you've got to applaud the finesse with which the knife goes in and where it's put. Nisa Horrigan, the Green Party, well, sorry, the uh, the TD formerly known as a member of the Green Party. She was suspended from the Green Party for voting to uh, against the government in relation to the eviction bill. And The Independent had a story up today, Michael, and its headline is this. Nisa Horrigan, the Green Party t- TD who wanted to keep ban on evictions, raised concerns about proposals for more than 5,000 new homes in her constituency. Yeah, I saw this story. And loath though I am to be, try and be fair to NASA, I mean, I don't, what does it mean to say raised Did concerns? Did you just call NASA? NASA, yes. It's not NISA? NASA, it's N-E-R-S-R, isn't it NASA? I don't, I don't think you can use that pronunciation. Every time you say it, I'm just going to think about a space race. <laughs> I think you will have to use the, the incorrect pronunciation. Put it into the same category as Stadia. I think Nisha would be N R O I S E, would be Nisha and not NASA. Anyway, <laughs> excuse me, Deputy Horrigan or Hurrigan raised concerns. Now, there, there may be a technical meaning to that raise a concern, but I've seen lots of our friends on the uh, moderate and centre-right saying things like uh, there should be laws passed saying that elected representatives uh, in the Dáil or the Shannon or wherever can't actually lodge objections to or raise concerns by or lobby against any form of planning permission because they're just getting in the way of building houses. And they are indeed, I don't doubt, getting in the way of building houses. Excuse me. However, I will be very, very slow to introduce legislation which was to impede in the right of a constituency TD to get involved in stuff that's happening in their constituency. And NASA may have had at different times a perfectly reasonable motivation to lodge a concern about a particular development. I don't know. Now, my experience of having looked in a little bit more detail at the activities of other TDs has suggested that these things tend to be simply a knee-jerk, oh, God, they're looking to build houses there. I'm going to object. Now, they do so for all sorts of different reasons because they, if you're green, you just don't like people building houses because you don't like people living in places because people are just producers of carbon and all sorts of other bad things and they use up things and they don't use the bus or they don't cycle and they, they drive cars and it's all just too horrible for words. So I'm perfectly willing to believe that in these 5,000 cases, it was the usual just block the building of a house thing. But on the other hand, race concern is, it's it's fairly mild at the level of the thing. Unless there, as I say, there is this very specific technical legal meaning to that, which is more substantial than I am aware of. So I, I will I'll give a quick explanation of this, because I imagine most of the listeners aren't aware of this either. And in Horrigan's response to this, when the Independent went to her for comment, she made the specific point that she had made observations, not objections. So an observation is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of coming writing in to say that you were against the building of a particular thing, you basically say you have concerns. Yes. Now, this is how this is done in Ireland if you were a TD. Let's say you're 
an unnamed Labour TD who is in the doll entirely because of their work in stopping housing being built in their constituency. But you don't want, just as, a, as you know, just plucking it out of the air there, no one in particular no, mind. No. But Michael, if you objected to these houses, some know-it-all journalist could find out about it. And then you're blocking housing. And then they can start saying things like, you know, does your position on housing and homelessness make any goddamn sense, given your own actions? And you couldn't be having that. So what you do is you put in a series of observations, occasionally some very pointed observations. And then the councillors and the activists who work with you use those observations to object. But you didn't do it, Michael. You've only made observations. Thousands upon thousands of observations. So you, you so nobody can say NASA blocked the building of 5,000 homes in our constituency, or somebody else blocked, blocked 11,000 homes in their constituency, for example, plucking a number out of the air. And I would never suggest that this was a deliberate plan on the part of, of Horrigan to do this thing, which TDs do on a common basis. And perhaps she just did feel the need to make these observations uh, with 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 no further intention. And actually, I said perhaps there, Michael, I should have, you know, we've got to assume good faith. She absolutely made these observations, not for that purpose, but just to have them made and to you know, represent the people in her area who don't want those things built. Yes. So that's that. That's how that works. So that it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult to actually figure out who's objecting to housing, because TDs play a major part in this. Uh, but again, they've realised that objections can be collated. People can put in FOIs. They can ask about things. They can come up to you and ask, "Did you uh, did you do this?" So in a similar news item, Michael. Uh, Labour is currently having a fight with Fine Gael, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about, um, I didn't make any objections, I just put in observations. Yes. A bit of a, what I would almost feel like is a slightly internecine feud going on between Fine Gael and, and Labour in Dublin. I think of that because of the, that long, close, familial connection that we have historically seen between Fine Gael and Labour until Fine Gael found a new suitor in Fianna Fáil, which was frankly not a relationship that any of their friends ever saw coming down the line. And when it was announced, I think most of us were in the pub saying, oh God, don't do it, he's not worth it. But there you go. They're having a bit of a cut at them. They are. I mean, I was just reading, Michael, uh, I was going to say for my sins, but I don't think I'd ever done anything to deserve this. Ivana Bacic's opening speech at the 72nd annual Labour Party. And it's a hoot, Michael. They give a wonderful explanation of why people feel their vote doesn't matter, which I just feel shows you that under Bacic, Labour has just really got their finger on the pulse. Uh... In this, no, you know, I was going to make a joke about the legal letters that Labour has sent to the Irish Times because the Irish Times sent Labour some questions about a particular person who works in Labour, who I'm not going to name or mention, but I'm sure you, if you, you'll find the Irish uh, Times story about it if you look for it, and I would advise people to look for it because that could be very fun. Well, the Finnegalers have been suggesting that Labour, and we'll get on to Ivana's electrifying speech in a minute because. By God, the woman can tell a joke. Labour, but again, I've been accusing Labour of being against housing. And they, they, they actually made some specific accusations, shall we say, personalised to the argument. I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they were able to find people in the Labour Party, or actually any 
any political party, has a track record of trying to stop building in their constituency. Gambling in this establishment. See how horrified we are. Anyway, what Aidan came back with what I thought was a, an odd response in some ways. Oh, what, was it the, uh, that's playing the man, not the ball? Yeah, I, the man or the man and the woman or the men and the women, not the ball. I, 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 I did genuinely think that the, 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 the mix of genders was, was an odd thing there. I thought he would try to stay away from that, train the deputy, not the ball. But it, it's an odd way because what he's actually saying is it's not that we didn't do it, but you're just picking on people because they did it. Instead of attacking us on the basis that we did this as a party or as we did this as a, as a policy, you're just picking on the people that did it. I, I, I rooted around it and I impacted it insofar as I could. And it didn't seem to me on the face of it to be actually denying, shall we say, the, the, the core of the accusation from the blue shirts. I feel, Michael, that what likely happened here is there was an exceptionally strong and specific denial that just never made it into the um, independence reporting on it. I think that's the only thing we can believe here. That maybe this Ivana has anyway just to poo poo, and I think to poo poo in the strongest possible terms, Gary, because by God she can poo poo when she wants to poo poo. She has poo pooed the notion that Labour is against the building of houses. In fact, they are strongly in favour of the building of houses, and they have committed onto the next. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. <clears throat> I can say this. Onto the next Labour government, onto the next Labour government, they will commit to building 100,000 houses for the next 10 years. Now, I am told reliably that Ivana is a fairly handy block layer herself, can lay six to 700 blocks in a day, which, as you know, Gary, is not a small number. Um, I don't know how Aidan is at plastering or who their first fix uh, carpenter is, but I'm still impressed. 100,000 houses, Gary, in the next 10 years. Can you imagine the amount of work they're going to have objecting to that number of houses when it comes to the planning application? If you think about it, Michael, though, it's an ingenious system. You bring forward the public program to build a million houses, and then you get all of your people to stop the building of those houses, and suddenly you've got dozens of Labour TDs. Yeah, they'll pop up like mushrooms on a warm, damp September morning. It'll be fantastic to see. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious as to know who's going to build these houses, where they're going to be build, built, who's going to pay for them, uh, what kind of processes are going to be introduced in order to allow these number of houses to be built in the first place, what kind of changes they're going to implement to speed up the planning process, to limit the kinds of, shall we say, political or otherwise objections that people launch to this kind of development? Are all, or is it the case that, Gary, all of these houses are going to be built in constituencies not now containing Labour TDs? Sorry, Michael, as you're talking, I'm just going back over some of uh, Ivana's words, I suppose. They're technically words. I suppose they conceivably have meanings in parts. Jesus Christ, this is some, just some... It's like a hallmark card generator of political policy. I'm told, Gary, that just on a tangential note, that uh, it wasn't difficult to get tickets to the uh, Labour Congress or Ardesh or whatever they call it this year. And they didn't have to struggle to find a room big enough in the country in order to accommodate all of the attendees. In fact, uh, one Labour 
uh, old, old Labour man said to me, it was all rather dispiriting to think back to the days of Corish and the 70s will be socialist. I'm not, I, I am somewhat surprised by that, Michael. I thought that when I look at, at these words, because they had certainly words on a page, I can't imagine that anyone wouldn't want to sit through 20 minutes of this. I mean, Michael, it's it's just, it's filled with just statements of, of courage and conviction. Like there's an entire thing about climate change, Michael, in which Ivana says the government won't be honest with people about the scale of the challenge. I will be. On agriculture, we need to change the way we farm, working with farming families and food producers to achieve sustainable rural communities. And we must be honest about radical change in transport too. Radical. And then it just kind of moves on. Um, I'm not sure if if we must change the way we farm is uh, being honest about the scale of the challenge. I feel that might be a slight undersell. I think closer to how do we tell people we're going to stop farming would be maybe closer to the kernel of the truth of the uh, the, the policies that are being advocated. But maybe that doesn't scan so well. You're, you, you're reading the speech and while it reads like a Shakespearean monologue, no doubt. I don't know, did you enjoy, did you have the, the pleasure of actually watching any of the speech live? Well, not even live. But as delivered on tape, because by God, that was a pleasure too. The way the the word the way the words become alive on the page, when spoken with conviction, fantastic performance. You can really see why there's been such a big Ivana about. God, they must hate the social democrats, Gary. Don't you think? When when Holly came in, they went up. Was it six points in the in the next poll? And they continue. They continue that trajectory. Labour is going to build a million houses. They're going to. In- introduce a nine euro climate ticket for public transport they're going to give everyone a pay rise i'm not sure how they'll guarantee that but and free gp and a guaranteed preschool place for every child wonderful michael wonderful i'm just sitting here thinking that at this right as we speak santi will be getting worried because ivana is obviously gunning for his position so we're going to, we're all going to get free gps and free and, it, and free childcare for every child. Now, of course, I'm imagining, because she's a sophisticated and intelligent woman who wants to respond to the, the, the core expressed desires of the people, the citizenry, that when she says that she'll be talking about subsidizing childcare, both for women who want to go out to work, but also for women who want to stay at home. Uh, presumably she referenced that distinction, did she? She talked about supporting those women who chose... Uh, to stay in the home to raise their children? Or or did I miss that bit in the speech? She said a safe and secure home is essential to our well-being. That's... And she used an example of a young mother who was being evicted and needed to find another house. So in that way, she was saying that that woman's place was in the home. At least in that particular home. So that's probably what she meant. Yeah, okay, that's good. I'm happy she mentioned that. It's kind of a, a bingo card of things. It's like here's a, a single line about this and a single line about this and a lot of mentions of, of people opening their hearts and stepping up, Michael, and uh, how she wants the immediate expulsion of the Russian ambassador and Palestine and everything. And yet it says absolutely nothing. 
which is actually kind of impressive, even in political speeches, which, Michael, are, it's kind of their job. So are we going to tax the rich to pay for it all? And there is mention of a wealth tax as well, yeah. I love the wealth tax. Nobody's ever explained to me a wealth tax that would actually succeed in taxing wealth. Here's here's one, Michael. Here's Here's like a real, like a reference to show the kids that you're with it. She says that one of the things that uh, must be done is to finally jettison De Valera's delusions about women. So? Not entirely sure what that means. It comes after a line about a referendum on gender equality, which the government has conceded to. So I presume it's a reference to the Irish constitution. Gender. Oh, we've got to expand the definition of family beyond that base just on marriage. Mm, I'm getting one of my sick headaches again now. Oh, yes, they want to, they want to basically repeal the whole constitution, isn't it, and make it gender neutral. And God knows what. I don't know what that means anymore. I mean, to the extent that I ever knew what it meant, I don't. Now I, because gender, what does gender mean anymore? Does gender mean sex? No, gender is not sex. Sex is one thing, but gender is another thing. But then you read the third paragraph, then gender and sex are the same thing. And it's just biological sex, but then it's biological inverted commas. And uh, it just, I don't know. I don't know. Jared Casey wrote a very bad thing on Twitter today, basically saying that what when they talk about gender equality, what they really mean is gender equity. And equity is the guaranteeing of an outcome. And therefore, you can't have a guaranteed outcome unless you actually involve yourself in constant course of activity, which is true. So the idea of enshrining the notion of gender equality, which is such a weird, ambiguous, amorphous, and genuinely impossible to define term into the concept. Jesus, you're sowing a whirlwind of lawsuits for you. However, I do like the prospect of uh, the abolition of the, uh, the children's allowance that you've been advocating on the basis that it was that the... Uh, the wicked, horrible De Valera uh, part of the Constitution, the, the only part of the Constitution that actually specifically mentions mm-hmm. women, required the payment of the allowance directly to, to to the mother, or indeed to the stepmother. But did you know that? That if, if there's a case that the, chi- the child benefit is being paid to a, new, to a family and there's a stepmother and a biological father, that the stepmother would be legally entitled to receive the payment, not the biological father. I didn't know that, actually. I learned that today. Where I was saying that the, the thing they said that shows that they're they're so in touch with those who are disconnected from politics, Michael. Yeah. So they, they ask, they have this series of statements, and then they say, is it any wonder that so many people feel disconnected from going on in Leinster House, that so many people feel their vote doesn't count? And Michael, you'd assume that the sentences above this would be pretty solid that they would give you an idea of why people don't like politicians. I mean, it might say things like people don't like Labour because general public have an idea that if certain Labour politicians were told they could get a ministerial pension but would have to eat several children, they would basically be like Cronus within seconds. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Now I have the image of Aidan O'Rudon just eating a child, just breaking it clean in half. He'd do it too. (laughs) I don't know if there's a a famous painting of Cronus in eating, is he eating one of his children? Is it by William Blake? Yeah, no. I, I'm what I am thinking of is, is is that painting, but switching between Aidan O'Riordan and Ivana Bacic's face. <laughs> and you know, Michael, it just feels right. I am going to go to one of the AIs after this and ask them to make that for me. <laughs> but what they say, Michael, is expenses scandals, dodging 
dodgy planning applications and the daily shouting match that passes for leaders' questions in the doll. I feel there are perhaps better reasons why people feel disconnected from Leinster House and feel that their vote doesn't count. Like, perhaps, Michael, the incredible democratic deficit that exists because you basically have to agree on nearly everything to have your vote represented by any of the major parties. It's not great, is it? No, no. I mean, I remember I I heard a, a speech from a Polish MEP a couple of months ago, and the point he made, he was talking about people saying that Poland, uh, the Polish government was totalitarian. And he made the argument that the Polish government rules you know, as the Polish government does, but they were voted in. And in Poland, you can vote for anyone from the communists to the libertarians, and you can go, you can legitimately be represented by someone who is relatively close to you. It's not perfect representation, but the choice is there. And he's making the point that, you know, if people vote for certain things to be done, and it's done, and there were other options, and there was legitimate representation, how can it be totalitarian to do these things? It can be authoritarian, But that's not the same as totalitarian. Actually, that's a message that a lot of people could do with hearing. Authoritarian governments are often not totalitarian in that they're not anti-democratic. They can be voted out. In fact, authoritarian policies are a legitimate democratic option. They are certainly an option. That's not to say... You know, you have to like it. That's one of the reasons why we have constitutions, in a sense. Mm. Is because you can't trust people. You can't trust people, and you you put in constitutions as a kind of a stopgap, uh, a, uh, a doorstop, if you like, to to stop parliaments in who when the people are going through a particular moment, they want to do nasty things to other people. Then you say no, you you can't actually do that. There are certain basic fundamental underlying principles of justice and right and morality that which we want to enshrine and you can't pass laws which undermine those so like for example say we all decided next week that all those nasty people who own property uh if they went into minority and they may well do very shortly instead we drive all the people who own property out of property into something else we want to take all the property away from them. Well, you can't do that. Even if there's a majority in favour of it, you can't do it because we actually protect those rights. And we can't decide that we, some religious group has religious beliefs that we don't like and we're not going to allow them to get together in their place of worship and do the kinds of things they do because the Constitution says, no, you have a freedom to do that kind of thing. There are limits they bound usually by constitutions. And then there are modes. One of the things that marks a constitutional law Traditionally, is that the 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 modes to change it or to amend it tend to be much more difficult than the than those that we would usually learn, use for laws passed in legislature, and that's a way, one of the ways. It's a one of the practical. It's a practical point of what makes a constitution, but it's also a way of signalling that this is special law and this is a law which we have to make more protected against the whims of uh, the people. And we remind ourselves here, Gary, that we are in fact a republic not a democracy. It's a real black mark on the state of, of education in actually pretty much every country I'm aware of in the, the English-speaking world that people say democracy and that they support democracy when they don't actually support anything that would be considered to be a pure democracy at all. They support republicanism. They support various types of constitutionalism. They support restraint But people don't seem to realise that that's not a pure democracy because pure democracies are horrible and unstable 
and tend to end with everyone killing each other. Because it turns out letting people strip others of rights based on a, a pure majority doesn't doesn't lead to good things. No, it does not. You were you were saying there that Jared was saying that um, equity requires constant state intervention. And I won't go through it now, but I'll just mention it to people. There is a famous uh, thought experiment or argument contained in a book called Anarchy, State and Utopia. It's Chamberlain. By the Will Chamberlain um, argument. And what it basically is, is it makes the, it explains how you can create a perfect society, a perfectly equal society, but that that society will inevitably become unequal over time unless you are constantly intervening. And it's used to explain Really what you see in, in, in communist countries and in um, strongly socialist countries, that the government ends up involved in everything, it's because human interactions naturally lead to unequal outcomes. And that cannot be fixed. It cannot be perfected. And he uses the example of Will Chamberlain, who is a famous uh, basketball player, to basically explain that this can happen without anyone being hurt. In fact, everyone is better off. So not only must the state intervene to to stop that and to control people's behavior, but in doing so, it can create a more equal society where everyone is less happy and less free, but also just less happy because now they don't get to see Will Chamberlain play baseball. Or basketball. Basketball. One of the, the, the things that Nozick does in that, and Jared used to teach an elective on this. I was very fortunate. I think I was the last people of the British Isles to, uh, we had to do a full semester course just on American State and Utopia under Canon Matthew O'Donnell, who was a canon of the Diocese of Galway and an unusual man in that his passions, yeah, never could work this out. His philosophical passions in life were David Hume, Nozick, and Plotinus. I can tell you again, that is a mixed bag right there for a priest, Catholic priest in, in, from Galway. But anyway, one of the, the one of the big points, which is what one of the important points he makes, is that he's responding to Rawls, John Rawls, who, who developed this theory, the veil of ignorance, which was if you were going to it's another thought experiment. He said if you were going to sit down, you had a veil of ignorance between yourself and the society. You couldn't see or understand where you would end up in the society that you were designing. That most people would create a society where you wouldn't have great extremes because you wouldn't want to take the risk that you're going to end up in extreme poverty or an extreme uh, disadvantage. So you'd create a society which was based on some kind of basic fairness. Anyway, one of the ideas is that the societies that we live in, the, 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 those people who have property or have power, who have money, it's part of some kind of historic injustice that somebody at some stage in the past robbed somebody else, stole something from somebody else, or took their, their maybe even enslaved somebody and used them and exploited them in order to, to create wealth. He said, okay, but um, the, the, one of the cute things about the Will Chamberlain experiment, the idea is that everybody starts off the year with $100 in this country of 200 million people. So the point about that with the Will Chamberlain is that everybody freely, happily, and willingly gives a dollar to Will Chamberlain in order to watch him play basketball. Nobody's coerced. Nobody's being forced. There are no historic injustices to deal with. But very, very quickly, you'll have a society where Will Chamberlain has millions of dollars because millions of people want to see Will Chamberlain play basketball and they give him a dollar to do that. And suddenly the society where most people have $99 and Will Chamberlain has $10 million or whatever. And that is obviously grotesquely unequal as a society. But it's not a society where anything 
uh, obviously immoral is taking place. And to stop that happening, the government will have to continually and obsessively intervene, intervene and coerce people from stopping making free choices of exchange. It's a great book that um, the first, if I remember rightly, the first part is kind of technical and rather difficult, the second half not so much, and is worth having a bash at. Um, he's a really interesting philosopher in lots of, lots of many different ways, but we don't have to wait to that now. But yeah, the Will Chamberlain experiment is, is, is worth having a read. I, I will just mention this because I dislike the theory so heavily. You mentioned Rawls' Veil of Ignorance. Presented as this wonderfully objective way to uh, structure society in a rational form because you know, you'll seek to minimize certain extremes. My problem with it is that really it's basically just a plea for self-interest. All it does is get people to design societies where they are best off. But a society in which one person is best off, as in has the least risk of something terrible happening to them, is not the best society. It's the safest society. It's the least risky society. doesn't mean it's good. It also, I think, makes a fundamental assumption, which is that all these people will simply decide on the kind of society which minimizes risk. But we know that there is going to be a certain population within our society, which we which these days we call entrepreneurs, who won't want to do that. And they're precise. They will want to take the risk. And this is actually, it's like you're creating a society to squeeze the risk takers out, to take the entrepreneurs out, who are precisely the people who drive economic progress and drive economic well-being. Also, you're excluding that you're you're completely you're misunderstanding the role that the wealthy place play in a society as first users, early adapters. If you don't have anybody in a society who are in a position to pay lots of money for status objects or status goods or status technologies for which they are willing to pay lots and lots of money, though those things will never be created. And then they will once and then you will you won't have that process of development which will see things that once I mean, they used to say, for example, that if you wanted to know what was going to be in a car in 30 years' time, you go and see whatever was in the most expensive car that Mercedes were making. Whatever was in that, you'd say, well, and actually, that has that worked pretty well. If, but the, the difference is these days, that process is actually accelerated. And the transfer of technologies ha- happens much, much more quickly. But they will never get to the car that you or, or I will drive if somebody doesn't start off driving a, a, a Mercedes Maybach at some stage. Uh, it, 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 because you have to have those people at the beginning of the chain in order to subsidize the possibility for people to do that kind of thing. Or else why would they do it? If they can't build it and then sell it, there's no point in doing it. So it would never happen. So you have a, it stymies progress, it stymies advancement and the material advancement and the material increase in the quality of life of the lar- of large numbers of people. But as you say, Gary, let's not get into John Rawls. No, I, I was about to say, I think we should leave it there because I was about to say before this happened, we should finish up now and I'm about, I'd say, 30 seconds from talking about The Last Man. <laughs> and that's well, no, that's not a win for anyone. That's not going to win. That's not a win for anyone. So, so on that note, I think we'll say goodbye, good luck, and we won't be back because Gary is going to be working in the Balkans, bring peace. I don't know to bring peace to Croatia or to Slovenia. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll be doing. You'll be working hard anyway over there. So we wish you well, and we will be back Sunday week. Well, Sunday week is Sunday week Easter. We shall be back sometime. Stay tuned, and we will keep you informed. Have a good week. What a regular schedule. All the best.